This is God's Word. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, through, excuse me, through verse 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. If you would pray with me for God's blessing on His Word. Father, thank You again. You've given us Your Word and You didn't have to do that. And You've brought us here to hear it. And I pray now that You would help me to speak it clearly and all of us to hear it clearly. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine for just a minute that your doctor has given you a pill for something. Uh, he's, you've got some illness and he's given you this pill to take and he says, I want you to take this twice a day. Uh, now, it's going to produce results, but it may take a year for you to really see any benefit from this. And so you begin to take this pill and you take it twice a day and you don't really think you're getting any better. And one day you're at the pharmacy and you're getting your prescription refilled and you say something to the pharmacist like, man, I... This is expensive. I don't think this is doing any good. And the pharmacist looks at you and he says, well, that, that stuff's okay. But what you really need is this. And he pulls out some over-the-counter uh, energy metabolism booster, uh, the new secret formula from GNC. And he says, you take your medicine plus this, and then you're going to start to get better. You'll see some results. Now, you might begin to, to think, because you had made such, seemingly such little progress in getting well, you might begin to think, did I get the right information from my doctor? Did he, did he or she tell me the right thing? Did they really give me enough? Is what they gave me really going to make me well? Is it really going to change me? Uh, the book of Colossians... It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to the church at Colossae. Uh, the church there is a church plant. Uh, and it's planted uh, by a man named Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras had brought the gospel to the people. He brought the message of Christianity to the people there. And they had believed it. They had accepted Christ. And they were seeking to follow after him now. But now Epaphras has left. And after him these what Paul describes as false teachers have come in after Epaphras and they're saying basically, well that, that was good. Epaphras got you started but if you really want the secret to the Christian life, if you really want to experience fullness as a believer you need something else. This message that Epaphras brought you really isn't enough. And so the letter of Colossians is basically, if you wanted to sum the whole thing up, it's Paul's testimony to the sufficiency of the gospel, to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
Uh, he's saying, basically, guys, you've got the right message. You've got the gospel message. You've got the message about Christ. And that's enough. That's enough. Uh, but put yourself in these, these reader's shoes for a minute. Uh, you've heard Epaphras preach. You heard the message. And now these other people are coming in. And, and you really are wondering, well, did he leave something out? Did he, did, is this all I need to know? Surely there's got to be more. They're telling me I need to do more. But then you hear this letter of Colossians read uh, from the Apostle Paul. And what you hear him doing is, well, he's giving thanks for you. Uh, he's excited about what he sees in your life. He realizes and he's telling you, look, you, you got the right message. This is a sufficient message. I know the guy that brought this to you. I know Epaphras. And, and he brought you the gospel message. Paul's not concerned that Epaphras had somehow left something out. Uh, no, he says, he got it right. You heard it right. You believed it. That's good. And so maybe you begin to think, if you're sitting there in the church, maybe this message about Jesus, uh, maybe it really is enough. Maybe I don't need anything else. And guys, we need to hear this message today as well. Uh, if you're with us and you're not a believer, um, I would argue you need to hear this message because often I think Christians give the impression that what you need to do to be a Christian is that you need to straighten up and you need to fly right. You need to change yourself and then you can become a Christian. When in reality... Uh, the gospel says becoming a Christian is not about you changing yourself so that you can become a Christian. Uh, the gospel is about receiving a message that actually changes you. And so if you're uh, checking out Christianity, uh, you need to, to realize what it is you're actually checking out. What does this gospel actually say? Uh, if if you're a Christian, then I would argue you need to hear this over and over again because aren't we all tempted to think, well, I made it this far in the Christian life and this gospel message is, is great and all of that, but I, I must need something else because I'm not, I'm not getting that far. Surely there's something else to help me take that next step in the Christian life. Uh, something to help me deal with this sin that I can't shake because the gospel doesn't seem to be doing the job. Something, something else to really get the job done. And Paul's saying no. If you've got the gospel, you've got Jesus. And he's enough. He's enough. Well, what does all that have to do with us as a church? Uh, Paul saw something in the lives of the people of Colossae that convinced him that they had heard the gospel, that they were being changed. He saw, it says here, that the gospel was actually bearing fruit and growing. And that's what we want to see as well among the people of Grace Presbyterian Church. We want to see the gospel actually bearing fruit and growing in our lives. Uh, specifically in this text, there are three fruits I think we ought to be looking for in our lives uh, that get there not because we staple them onto the tree, but get there, get there through the gospel taking root in our lives. And the first one is this. Look at verse 3 and 4. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Uh, The first fruit of the gospel is faith in Jesus. If you've ever been in a hospital for any period of time, you may have had the um, not-so-enjoyable experience of having somebody trying to stick an IV needle in you. Uh, and that, sometimes that goes well, sometimes not so well. But why are they doing that? They're doing that because you need nourishment from outside of yourself. Uh, you need to be hooked up to that IV bag to draw uh, fluid, medicine, water, whatever it is. You need to be connected to that. Um, faith is kind of like that IV line. It's about you being connected to something and receiving nourishment from it. Uh, But here's what you and I naturally do instead of uh, connecting to Jesus. Uh, Instead of looking to Him, we look to other sources for our meaning, for our significance, for our identity, for our purpose, for our value as people. Uh, We put our faith in being successful. Uh, We put our faith in being high achievers, we put our faith in being productive, Uh, we put our faith in being liked, we put our faith in being healthy, Uh, we put our faith in being able to take care of my family, my ability to change, we put our faith in relationships. Uh, How do you tell what you're putting your faith in? Uh, One of the ways is to ask yourself, are you getting overly angry or despondent because there's something you think you've got to have but you don't have it. Uh, It it could be the root of your anger and your despondency is you're looking to this thing and you're trying to draw the life from it that you should be drawing from Jesus. Uh, is, Is there something that you failed at and now you're just despondent because you failed at this thing? That's where your faith uh, has been. Uh, what do you fear? What do you fear losing more than anything else? Uh, that thing may very well be where your faith is actually directed. Um, the, the the thing that thing is where you've got that IV line connected. And you're trying to draw sustenance uh, from it. That's where your faith is. That's where you're trying to find life. And what the gospel does is it redirects your faith away from that thing and it directs it toward Jesus Christ. And it does it in the beginning of the Christian life and then the gospel comes in over and over and it continually redirects our faith away from these things we are looking to and it draws us back to Jesus Christ. This gospel message is what produces faith in Jesus. Uh, So maybe I better just pause for a second and and talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, Verse 6 says here it has to do with the grace of God. Uh, Verse 13, jumping ahead, says it has to do with our being rescued from the dominion of darkness and, and actually brought into the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the gospel message is this, is that you and I are more sinful than we ever thought, than we ever dared uh, to imagine. Uh, If you go through the book of Romans, you'll read in Romans 3, there's no one good, no not one, that we've all turned aside, that we've all 
uh, rejected God, that we've all become worthless, that we're all me worshipers and not God worshipers, that we're estranged from Him. And yet, while we're more sinful than we ever really wanted to realize, we're also more loved than we ever dared imagine because in spite of this, God sends Jesus after us. God sends Jesus to die on the cross, to, to die the death we should have died, to live the life we should have lived. And He presents, uh, presents His Son to us uh, and He says, look, you can try to be made right with Me through your achievements, through your works, through trusting in yourself, or you can trust in My Son and you can rest in Him. You can trust in His work on the cross. And which one is it going to be? And the people of Colossae had heard this message uh, and they said, you know what, that is us. We don't have anything to offer to God. And so they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, this gospel message that is telling me that if I put my weight down on what Jesus has done on the cross, my sins will be forgiven and I'll be received into the family of God. See, the, the gospel is about trusting Christ for your life. Trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Putting your faith in Jesus. It's not about being good. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we think we're okay because my sin is more socially acceptable than the next person's sin. And so I can get into this comparison game and I say, well, I'm not out getting drunk, but how much time have I spent gossiping and talking about other people and running them down behind their backs? Well, I'm not out there stealing and robbing, uh, but how much resentment am I carrying around toward another person week after week after week? See, we, we do this comparison game and when you do that, what you're really subtly doing, although you may not really think about it, is you're not putting your faith in Jesus. You're putting your faith in yourself. Here's what I've got to bring to the table. Here's what I can offer God. So what are you putting your faith in? Uh, it's the South, and so uh, we're a religious culture. Um, and I would imagine that some of us are putting our faith in a decision we made uh, or in an aisle we walked once or twice or three or four times and saying, in essence, I know I'm saved because I voted for Jesus. Um, I, I'd say that, that that's not really faith in Christ. That's faith in your decision. Now, it could have been the means that you came to faith in Christ. But if you are looking at that and trusting in that, that's not really resting in Christ. Now, what's resting in Christ? Uh, old quote from an old dead guy. Uh, I like these every once in a while. He's talking to somebody who's trying to, to work up belief in Christ. Uh, and he can't figure out what he needs to do. Uh, how do I do this thing called believing? And so he writes this letter to him. And this is part of what he says. Uh, you are still laboring under the idea that this believing is a work to be done by you and not the simple acknowledgement of a work done by another. You would like to do something in order to get peace. And you think that if you could only do this great thing called faith, God would reward you with peace. 
In this view, faith is a price, it's something you're paying, as well as a work. Whereas in reality it is neither, but it is a ceasing from work and from attempting to pay for salvation. Faith is not a climbing of the mountain, but a ceasing to attempt it and allowing Christ to carry you up in his arms. Faith is not a climbing of the mountain, but a ceasing from attempting to climb the mountain and allowing Jesus to carry you up in his arms. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is it in Jesus? Uh, Flannery O'Connor, and this you, you may hear me say this quote like ten times a year, um, so just get used to it. Flannery O'Connor said uh, that religious people think the way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Religious people think that the way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Uh, Some of us are using our nice southern morality to avoid Jesus. Uh, we're, We're refusing to let ourselves or anyone else see how wretched we really are. We're we're putting on the the disguise. Because uh, if we own up to who we really are, if we own up to our thought life uh, and our jealousy and our envy and our racism and our materialism and the fact that we really would rather just live a comfortable life and have everybody leave us alone, if we started owning up to that, we might actually really have to depend on Jesus for salvation instead of ourselves. And we're uneasy with that. And we want to have something to offer. We want to have some way to say, I'm still okay. I'm still a nice, socially acceptable person. We don't want to own up to the fact that we really need Jesus Christ. We want everybody to think, We're good, decent folks. I'm okay. You're okay. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. If you're fine, you really don't need to be here. Uh, Because Jesus said he came for people who aren't fine. Uh, Others of us, uh, that's one way we keep Jesus at arm's length. Another way we keep Jesus at arm's length is by saying, I make my own rules. Uh, I get to do whatever I want to do. I can live life like I want to live it. Um, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, the, the band, the Black Crows, I heard them interviewed a while back, and they were mad at Capitol Records, and they said basically, and I won't quote them, uh, but they said, they said basically, uh, the heck with Capitol Records. It's our band. We're going to do what we want to do. And we tend to kind of do that to God as well. It's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't need Jesus. I'm taking care of life just fine without him. But realize even when you're doing that and you might say, well, I'm not a person of faith. You are. You're still putting your faith somewhere. Uh, you're still hooking up that, uh, that IV line to something. You're looking to someone or something uh, to get you out of the, the mess of life and the insignificance of life and the drudgery of life. Appearance, what other people think of you, uh, your money, your success, your coolness, your intelligence, your job, your political cause. You're caught up in something and you've put your faith in it 
And you're not using the words, this is going to save me. But that's what you're, that's what you're hoping for. If I, if I serve this, if I connect to this, if I work hard enough at this, then my life's finally going to have meaning. And you're just looking to it as a Savior. Uh, the Gospel confronts us and it says, they can't save you. Those things can't save you. They, they cannot give you life. You're, you're hooked up to the wrong IV bag. Uh, and it's actually killing you. Uh, that may be why right now you're angry, uh, you're depressed, you're worried, you're fearful, you're resentful. You got your faith in the wrong place and it's disappointing you. And the gospel calls us to put our faith in Jesus. And the more we hear it, the more we get it. The more that we hear that my worth comes from outside of me, that my righteousness comes from outside of me, the more that takes root in my heart, the more my faith in Jesus grows, the more I love Him and the more I actually change. And so what we want to see in the people of grace is uh, first and foremost faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's two other things and I won't go nearly that long on these two so don't worry. That was the main one. Uh, the, the two other things here are uh, Paul says a love for the saints. Uh, we want the people of Grace Church to be people who Love their neighbors, both believers and unbelievers. But Paul points us here especially uh, to uh, to other believers. Uh, And you know, when he calls us to that, he's not calling you to love just the believers you get along well with. uh, The believers that you have something in common with. But he's calling us to love all the saints. And that's actually one of the reasons that, that we're going we're gonna to come down to receive communion. And there's, there's many ways you can do communion that are all fine. But I think one of the things that you realize as you come forward to receive communion is as you're sitting in your pew, I don't really, sure, meditate on your sin some in the gospel. That's great. But don't just think about you all the time. I think that's one of the hazards of our American culture is we're all kind of in my me and my pipeline to Jesus, and there's nobody else around me. And if you'll just sit there and watch other believers come forward, uh, maybe it's people that you've had something against, maybe it's people that just always rub you the wrong way, and you see them come forward and receive the bread and wine, and you, and you say, you know what, that's somebody for whom Christ died. That's somebody who's received the gospel. That's someone that Jesus loves. Can I love that person? Can I serve that person? Um, I would ask you, is your, is your life marked by a desire uh, to serve other believers? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Uh, are you willing to give up your free time? Are you willing to, to stop surfing the, the internet for a second and talk to somebody? Are you willing to give somebody a ride? Are you willing to quit working on your sermon and talk to your kids when they come in the room? Uh, are, are you willing to stop and to quit being wrapped up in you? See, when, when, when you think that, all right, whatever this thing was we were talking about earlier, these, these IV bags were hooked up to, when you think one of those things is going to be the thing that you draw life from, uh, then when other people are 
keeping you from getting it and they're getting in your way, then other people are just going to be an annoyance to you. But if you're drawing your life from Jesus and remembering that He's the one who came to serve you, uh, it's going to make more and more sense for you to serve other people. It'll just be, well, of course this is what I should do. Christ gave of His time and His energy and His life for me. This is, this is the person I should be becoming. Um, the gospel changes you so that you draw your life from Christ and that frees you to love other people. Third thing. Uh, we want to see faith, we want to see love, and we want to see hope. A heavenly hope. And I just want to read this quote. I won't say much about this, but this is a quote from Peggy Noonan, who's actually a presidential speechwriter back in the day. Uh, and this is what she said about hope. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this one to be the solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short one. We are the first generations of man that actually expected to find happiness here on earth. And our search for it has caused such unhappiness. The reason, if you do not believe in another higher world, if you believe only in the flat material world around you, if you believe this is your only chance at happiness, if that is what you believe, then you are not disappointed when the world does not give you a good measure of its riches. You are despairing. Uh, the, the gospel changes where you think you're going to find life. And so when things go wrong, it does hurt. And it is painful. It hurts badly at times. But your hope isn't shattered. Because you don't have all your eggs in this basket. Your real hope is in the world to come. Where's your hope? Uh, kind of interesting what these three things are. Uh, faith, hope, and love. Uh, faith, hope, and love that, that Paul wants to see, uh, that God wants to see in our lives. These are these evidences that we believe the gospel. Um, Paul saw them there. We want to see these things in our lives as well. Now, I, I want to say this as we wrap this up. I hope you see the way that these things were produced in the lives of the Colossians. Uh, it was... By believing the gospel, it was the gospel that was actually producing the fruit of faith, hope, and love in their lives. Uh, look with me, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Um, I think there's this tendency among us as believers to think the gospel is this thing that's, that gets me saved, and now it's up to me to somehow man up and produce faith, hope, and love. And, and if I could just get the right discipleship thing together, if I could just get it in gear, then I could be... Uh, a faithful and hopeful and loving person. But what this is telling us is that the message that saves us is the same message that will actually continue to change us and to produce this fruit in our lives. We talked about it specifically with each one of those 
I want to close with this. I want you to think about uh, in a big picture how the gospel actually changes us. Uh, Often, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, our perception of God's holiness is very small compared to what it really is. And our perception of our own sinfulness is very small. It's those couple of things that you're ashamed of, and that's about it. Um, it's, it's very small. Both of these are very small in our lives. But the longer we're Christians, and the more we actually think about what the Bible says, and we sit in church, and we learn about who God is, the more we understand that God's holiness is a lot, He's a lot more holy than we thought. Uh, and the longer we're uh, exposed to God's Word, the more we realize how sinful we actually are, that we're a lot more sinful than we realized at the beginning of the Christian life. And if you haven't, if, if you're like, I don't know if I'm that sinful, the, then my encouragement to you would be get married. Um, and and you're, you can realize how simple you are when you're single, I know that. But when you get married, it, it just like amps it up. There are great things about it, but you begin to see I'm really a selfish person because uh, now i got to share my life with this other person. And if you're married and you still don't really believe it, then you need to start having kids. Um, and, and, you know, if that's not helping, have another one. At some point it's going to kick in. Uh, you're going you're gonna to see, man, I, I really want life to be about me. And so you begin to have this feeling of, of actually getting further away from what God's standard is because He's seeming more holy, you're seeming more sinful, and the bridge seems uh, much larger. It's not just my external sins, it's my heart sins that I'm realizing for the first time. And it's these societal sins I'm caught up in and I hadn't realized for 20 years. Uh, And it's the sins I'm blind about right now that somebody looking back at us 100 years from now is going to go, how did they all do that and not see it? How are they all caught up in that? And as you see that, uh, you begin to see that the gap that Jesus bridged isn't this tiny gap between you and God. It's an enormous gap. It's an infinite gap. It's a huge thing. And at those moments, when you're beginning to see how big the gap really is, you have to ask yourself then, okay, what am I resting in now? Am I going to rest in my ability to do better this week? Or am I going to rest in Jesus Christ? My, my sin is always before me. Here it is in my face again. I've done it again. All right, what are you going to do? Is your hope that you're going to be better? Or is your hope in Jesus Christ? What are you going to trust in? My sin's in front of me, but the cross is greater than all of my sin. And so what happens is your understanding of what Jesus did to bridge that gap grows over time. And you see that you don't have a small Savior who saved you from a little bit of sin. You have a great Savior who saved you from the very wrath of God. And as you see this debt that He's paid down for you is not a small debt. Um, It's not the water bill. It's more like three mortgages. It's, It's a huge debt that He's paid. And the more you get that, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you love other people as well. Uh, The more you love Him, the more you actually desire to please Him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And the more you desire to please Him, 
You realize the more you're not pleasing Him. And so you cry out to Him for grace. You actually start praying. Jesus, help me to please You. Help me to live the way You want me to live. You see your sin, but you're more and more able to own up to your brokenness and to embrace the Gospel more and more that Jesus loves and forgives sinners of whom you're one of the worst. And so you cling to Jesus. See, I think we all want something to fix us. Uh, And so we think, okay, I trusted in Christ, but I'm not getting better, so I need to go do a discipleship program or another Bible study um, or, or go through this thing that I've heard about that's so great. And all that can be fine if, if what it's doing is actually pointing you to Jesus. Uh, if what it's calling you to do is to lead a daily life of repentance and faith. You do it today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that. You keep coming back. You keep growing in your understanding of who God is and what your sin is like and you keep running back to Jesus Christ. So we don't need the gospel plus something else. We need the gospel... The gospel is sufficient because Jesus is sufficient. Uh, And we need to take that gospel message into our lives and watch it begin to bear fruit. Colossians heard the right message. They received the right message. The message is bearing fruit because the message was pointing them to Jesus. It's pointing them to the right IV bag. Um, maybe you've heard the message. Have you received it? Have you believed it? Are you resting uh, in Jesus Christ and Him alone? Maybe you've heard the message and you've received the message, but now you feel like you're stuck and you're waiting for this spiritual gimmick. You're waiting for this thing to do to get you over the top. And I want to say what you need is Jesus and He's actually offered to you in the gospel. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for um, the gospel. You're good and kind to us, and you've given us what we need in Jesus, and yet we keep running after other things, trying to connect ourselves to them and draw life from them, and it doesn't work. I pray that your love and your mercy uh, would pull us back to Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.